so we continue the sermon series, What Was Jesus Thinking? And so we began actually a couple weeks ago, and I um, we addressed the, the whole idea that, you know, when Jesus talked about lots of different topics that we have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but the main topic that Jesus spent more time talking about than any other topic, more than love, joy, peace, faith, he really talked about the kingdom of God. And so, you know, it's actually mentioned, I think it was about 112 different times that Jesus talked about the kingdom of God. It's amazing. So then last week, we talked a little bit about the Sermon on the Mount. You know, we find that the, it's a great collection, isn't it, from Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And, and you have all these great, you have a collection of great, Jesus' greatest teachings. And from like A to Z, right? He talked about the Beatitudes, which is a great reversal. He's saying, you know, I realize that maybe you seem like life may seem hopeless, but you know, listen, let me tell you, someday what you might think that's hopeless here on this earth, but there's great hope in the kingdom of God and heaven. And someday you may feel as if that things are being completely, you're, um, not really, you, you don't receive injustice, but someday you will receive justice. So there's a great reversal in the Beatitudes. And he just talked about all these great teachings. He talked about divorce. He talked about, you know, eye for an eye, for tooth for a tooth, and, and what, how he um, taught us about anger. And by the way, once again, I, I want you to remember, well, I, I was coming last night, and I was driving in, about to pull in the parking lot here, and someone cut me off, and I had to remind myself about the Sermon on the Mount last night. And so I had to bite my lip, and Jesus had very specific teachings about how we respond to anger. And so, I mean, it's all there, A to Z. It's just amazing. So what a great collection of ethical teaching and morals and our values. And, um, and so, um, so this week, um, as Alan mentioned in our, in our prayer, I just thought it would be great to be able to talk a little bit about the parables and kind of teach a little bit about parables. And, and so I, once again, I, if, if um, when I was coming in, I, I have this little app on my phone, and some of you all might have this, and it's called Spotify. And um, Spotify is it's amazing. Now, it does cost you, I don't know, it's maybe like 10 bucks or something a month. But, um, but what I love about it is I can listen to music all the time if I want. You know, when I'm, if I'm, I'm out, when I'm working out or jogging or whatever. If I, you have your phone, you can actually pull up anything from A to Z. And what's really great about Spotify is that you might have a certain artist that you really like. And, um, and so maybe you don't, you know, and you can get almost any song you can imagine. So what I like about it is you can hit on your favorite artist and it's going to give you the greatest hits list. And so then I started thinking about, you know, if you were to have Jesus' greatest hits list when it came to his come to his stories, what would be in the, his greatest hits? I mean, what would be the Jesus' greatest hit list when it comes to the parables? Because there's a bunch of parables. And so I, I would whittle it down. The, the top two would be the prodigal son story and the good Samaritan story. And so I'm gonna, we're going to tackle the prodigal son story today, and we're going to talk a bit more about the Good Samaritan story next week. And so uh, Pastor Allen gave me a really great article, and she says, Harold, this is actually a very good read. And so I, I read it, and I just loved it. And I learned some really new things, some great new things about the prodigal son story this week. It was written by a guy named Joe Force. And so I'm hoping to maybe, maybe we'll all learn something new this week. If we kind of look at this story maybe through maybe a little different lenses. I know that you all heard this story and maybe you've heard people preach on this story dozens and dozens of times, but maybe we'll learn something new this week. So let me begin. Let me just read part of the story. Now, listen, once again, if you go to the Gospel of Luke, the 15th chapter, you find there are actually three stories there. It's almost like a trilogy that Jesus is spinning these stories. And so you have one parable that, you know, once upon a time, there's a man who was a shepherd. He had a hundred sheep, and one of the sheep wanders off. Can you imagine that? And then, um, so he leaves the 99 to go find the one lost sheep. And then when he finds the lost sheep, he throws a party. He's all excited. 
And then, um, and then there's this woman who has ten lost, well, has ten coins, and she loses one of her coins, and she turns her house upside down, and she finally finds the lost coin. And hey, let's have a party! Excited, rejoice with me. And then we get to this third story, and this is a story about, and we know it as the prodigal son story. Um, by the way, the word prodigal means wasteful or wasteful thing or um, wasteful living. And so um, I would suggest you today also, before I read this one little excerpt on it, is that, um, you know, in my Bible, it says the prodigal son story. Um, actually, it says um, the, the, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the prodigal and his brother. And so this story is really, it, yes, it is. It's called the prodigal. Um, but it's also called, um, well, maybe it's not only, it's the story of actually two sons and a father. Maybe that, maybe that might be even a little bit more of an accurate description. But now I know that your whole life we've always known as the prodigal son, and it is. But there's so, what I'm suggesting to you all day, there's so much more to this story than just the prodigal. It's a really deep story. Matter of fact, what I love about this story, it's timeless. It never gets old. I mean, here we are 2,000 years later, and we're still telling the same story. And I'm here to tell you this story, when Jesus was telling it, it still applies to us today. So um, let me begin by reading in, um, the very first part before you get to the three parables. And this is really important. I'm going to teach on this now. All the tax collectors and the sinners were com coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling, saying, hey, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. And they skip on down to verse 11. And so then Jesus told the story. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said, just, Father, give me my fair share of the property that belongs to me. So he divided his property between them. And a few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in destitute living. And when he spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. So parables. You know what's interesting about um, the word parable? In the Greek, it literally means to, uh, to be cast aside. So, you know, Jesus would have a, a topic or something he wanted to teach on, um, matter of fact, this is the typical way in which Jesus, if you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, or Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus is always kind of telling these stories, these almost like it seems like riddles. And so even the disciples come in one day, why do you keep telling these stories and, and parables? So the word parable literally means you have a story, you have a topic, and then you cast alongside um, the story in order to, for people to, and Jesus told stories because he wanted them to be able to try to get the point, to try to simplify it for them. And so you have this topic of the king, let's just say the kingdom of God, and then Jesus takes a story and he casts it along the side. That's what a parable means. So you find in this particular part, I, what I think is really interesting, um, once again, let me just teach. So in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you have the synoptic gospel. Synoptic means to be seen together. John's different. And so um, John doesn't teach, and the gospel of John, John doesn't have Jesus teaching in parables. Um, he has teaching in metaphors. Um, Jesus, I'm the light of the world. Um, I'm the vine, you're the branches. I'm the gate. I'm the good shepherd. You have these metaphors for Jesus is when Jesus is talking in this way. But here in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you have Jesus teaching in parables. 
And what's really interesting is that there are 31 distinct parables that we find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. 24 of them you actually find in Luke. And out of the, those 18 are specific to Luke. And so in Luke, Luke loved to tell. In the Gospel of Luke, he loved to tell parables. He has Jesus telling over and over again. And so the two of the greatest parables that we have, they're found only in Luke. And so when you think about this, I think it's really powerful when you think about the idea of Jesus telling these stories and parables. And so when you know, when we think about our society today, a lot of times when it comes to reading and what we read and so forth, I thought this is an interesting comment that um, this, uh, Mr. Forrest made in this comment. He says, when we think about the world, a lot of times when we read something, we're always, we read something and the person maybe trying to convince you about something about what to think about the world. But he said, parables teach us how to think about the world not what to think about the world. And then um, I, one of the philosophers, he wrote it about in this article, Peter Rollins, he said, a parable does not merely provide information about our world. Rather, if we allow it to do its work within us, it will change our world. So when you think about the parables, um, it's interesting because usually when it comes to parables, there's often a picture of who God is, there's a picture of um, ultimately who really uh, who we are naturally, and then we have this picture of who we're really supposed to be, and then we have this picture of how to think about the world. And so we have these wonderful stories, these parables that Jesus is teaching over and over again, typically around the kingdom of God, and we have this image that Jesus continues to cast. And so we have this story about the prodigal day, and so I think it's really interesting um, about the context because... Jesus begins to tell the story, and by the way, I think it's the greatest story ever told, my personal opinion. And, um, and, and so you have to be able to understand the context in which Jesus is telling. Have, have you ever heard me say, when they, there's this story before the story? Have you ever heard me ever say that? Okay. okay, so you have to understand what's going on before he tells these stories. And so I read to you all the context of the story. So... Who is he talking when he tells these parables? You have to understand the audience. And so uh, his audience is a bunch of religious officials. I mean, they're the scribes, they're the Pharisees. And what are the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious officials doing? They're pointing their finger at Jesus and saying, hey, this fellow, he hangs out with the sinners. Now, that's really important when Jesus tells this story. So they're being very judgmental about sinners, but they're also being judgmental about Jesus who hangs out with the sinners. That's interesting. And the reason why I think it's really powerful, because you have to understand when Jesus is telling a story, you have to understand the audience who he's talking to. And what's very powerful about this is I think the reason why Jesus told these particular stories is because he really wanted them to understand the heart of God. Because they didn't really understand the heart of God. So Jesus tells these three powerful stories. And so what's very interesting um, when you think about this and put it in perspective, I mean, I, I love this, this image because the Pharisees were always about putting distance between them and the sinners. So if there was a key word that I would focus on today for us to think about, it would be that Jesus came when Jesus is telling the story about the heart of God, he's talking about a perspective about God is about 
causing more distance between the sinners. God's calling us to be able to bridge the gap between the, the sinners. So in other words, he's not, when you think of the heart of God, God isn't about making more distance, but God's more about bridging the distance that we find in this story. And what's the reason? Why is Jesus telling the story? Because the Pharisees were always about putting more and more distance between them and the sinners. And so Jesus is trying to make a point about distance. So you got the parable of the lost sheep, you got the parable of the lost coin, you got the parable of the lost son. Now, what's very interesting, if you basically got a summary of the whole story, the summary of the story is you got a, a wealthy farmer who's a, um, a dad who's evidently got lots of means, and then evidently you've got this bratty uh, younger kid, his, his younger son, who has the audacity to ask for his fair share inheritance, and then you've got this elder son who seems to be a little bit more wiser, a little bit more prudent, and he's the obedient son. He's always done everything what his father's ever asked him to do. So a certain man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, for uh, giving my fair share of his inheritance, and the father divided the state between them. And then he went off to a far-off land. It's, you know, it's very interesting um, about this story is that you have, you got the younger son. And you have to understand the audience. So you have these Pharisees who are pointing their finger at Jesus. And Jesus begins his story by saying, all of a sudden, um, there's this younger son who goes and has audacity to ask his old man for his fair share inheritance. Let me tell you something. Nobody in their right mind would ever have done that. Now, we're, you know, we're looking at this 2,000 years later in our culture. And some, you know, um, you look at our culture, we would look at it maybe a little bit different. But back then, let me tell you something. Um, well, the Pharisees are thinking there is no way that a kid would actually go and do this. He would, I mean, and, and by the way, if he did do this, it would be ultimately he's saying to his old man, you're as good, good enough dead to me. You might as well drop dead. And so the first shot factor is that the younger son had the audacity to ask his old man for his fair share inheritance and before he died. You never did that in the first century. The second shot factor is this. As Jesus is telling the story at the very beginning, the young man actually gave him the money. And so the Pharisees are thinking, are you crazy? I mean, th this, no one would, not, so not only would back in first century would the uh, son ever ask for his fair share of inheritance, but there would be no way, uh, ho no way, Jose, that the father would actually give it to him. So this is blowing, as Jesus is telling this story, they're all thinking, this is absolutely ludicrous. Nobody would ever, ever, ever actually do such a thing because it was considered a major taboo back 2,000 years ago. And so Jesus continues to tell the story. By the way, I do think this is the greatest story ever. And when I think of the reason why it's one of the greatest stories ever is because it's timeless. It never gets old. So um, as Jesus tells the story, so the old man gives him his fair share inheritance. He asks for it. Okay, here, here it is. Have at it. So the son leaves, packs his bags, and he goes to a far-off country. And he spends it all on wine, women, song. He loses it. He has friends. They all hang out with him. And we're talking about a party. That kid did a lot of partying, right? I mean, you know, you know I, I love this image, you know, when Jesus talks about these three different parables. He says, you know, hey, there was a, 
a shepherd who loses a sheep, he has a party. You've got a woman who loses a coin, she has a party. And then you've got a father, later on in the story, he loses a son and he comes back. And my name says, I think Jesus really loved a good party. He would have fit in well in the villages. I just want you to know that, right? So too much partying. Way too much partying. And then as Jesus tells the story, he says there's a famine. And in the midst of the famine, the kid hits rock bottom. I mean, too much partying, um, hard living, hard life. And then the Bible, and then Jesus, as Jesus spins the story, you all know the story, he finally says, and um, now listen, here's the interesting part, that also the detail, don't miss the detail in the story. The, the kid hits so rock bottom that he actually ends up be willing, he's hanging out with the pigs. So if you're an Orthodox Jewish person, I mean, you hit, you, you talk about bottom, he hit rock bottom. Because all of a sudden he'd be finally, he would be willing to hang, he's hanging out with the pigs and he would have eaten what the pigs were eating. That's rock bottom. You can't get any lower than that. And you know, here's the interesting thing, ready? I imagine the Pharisees are pointing the finger at Jesus, right? They're thinking, oh, okay, he's going to end the story here. The kid got what he deserved. But Jesus can't help himself. He can't land the plane like Pastor Harold. He, he can't land the He keeps on talking. The, the Pharisees are thinking, oh, this is the No, 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 no. He's not done yet. The next thing you know is the younger son, he comes to his senses. Comes to, is that, and in the midst of this coming to his senses, listen, I, I, I got to do something. So in the midst of coming to his senses, he re, begins to rehearse his plan. And his plan is, I have, I'm going to go back and I'll throw myself at my father's feet and I'll just say, you know, I've sinned against heaven and I've, I've sinned against you. And can you just please just take me back as a servant? Okay, so you have that part of the story. So the son begins to make his way back. And so the next part of the story, you have this part of the father's story. And then part of the father's story is very interesting is because the, the, it says there that, once again, don't miss the detail. Um, it has to do, and he sees him from a long off. I mean, he sees him from a distance. And so what I think is really interesting a part of the story is that um, the father doesn't know has no clue that the kid's actually coming back. As far as he knew, he, the kid told him he was going to drop dead, and you might as well drop dead, and he's got all the money, and he's not thinking the kid would ever come back. Matter of fact, I want you to know this. When Jesus is telling this story, this is before cell phones and texting, before social media. He had no clue his kid was coming back. Didn't get tipped off. No idea. So the idea that the father sees him from a long distance, he has no idea that the kid's coming back, and he has... And he, I, you know, if you put yourself in the father's position as Jesus is telling the story, you may ask yourself, I mean, what would be the father think, Father be thinking, mate? well, has he come back for more cash? Or has he got a girl pregnant? Or, you know, is he just sick and he's come back to me and wants me to take care of him? So put yourself in the position of the Pharisees and they're listening to the story and the father goes and he sees them, well, the Bible says Jesus is, he sees him from a distance. He sees him. 
Oh, wait a minute, there's that word again, destinies. What's interesting about this part of the story is the father goes, and once again, listen to what Jesus says and don't miss the detail. He says the father goes and runs. I love this part. The father runs to his son. And by the way, once again, in first century, guess what? Fathers never ran. Uh, the, the, the dads never ran. It would be considered undignified to run in public. And yet Jesus puts that detail in there. In other words, what I think is really powerful about this story is that evidently the father didn't care what all the neighbors thought. That he was loved his son evidently so much that he was willing to go run to him. What's also another little detail, I never thought about this um, part of this twist of the story, is that you would think that maybe he would have let the kid come to him and then they could get to the house and then they could get behind closed doors and then maybe the father would have a come to Jesus talk with the son. But it doesn't work that way. No, no. What happens is, is the father goes and once again, he's what am I, bridging the distance. Who's Jesus' audience? Pharisees. The Pharisees are always about putting distance between them and the sinners. And all of a sudden you have this son and you have this father, and the father is doing what? Bridging the distance. Genius. Genius. So the, what's very powerful is that when he goes, the father goes in and runs and embraces his son, throws his arms around and kisses him. By the way, I thought, oh, this is interesting. I never thought about this until this morning. I thought, you know what? I bet the kid didn't smell very good either. <laughs> right? And not only was he a train wreck, his hair's all matted, and he's dirty and nasty, he's been hanging out with the pigs, he's stinking I have it, and yet the father goes and hugs him and kisses him. Wow. That's amazing to me. And what's very powerful is he does this in public. The neighbors are seeing it. I mean, you would think that they would got behind closed. No, no, no. Jesus, evidently, the father doesn't care what the neighbors are thinking. Wow, that's a statement. And then you get to the part, here, oh, I mean, and then once again, the Pharisees are going, this is blowing their mind. How in the world could a father ever do this? So then, as Jesus tells the story, not only does the father embrace him in public, runs to him, hugs him, kisses him. And then he turns to the servant and says, hey, go get a robe. Not just any robe, woman, the best robe. Guess who had the best robe? The father. Go get my robe and put it on that kid. Go get the ring, which would have been like a singlet ring. And a singlet ring, would, back in the first century, the fathers would have had a ring and it would have been like a seal of document. It would have given him authority. In other words, he basically gave the family visa card back to his son. Wow. And then he says, and by the way, go get him shoes for his feet because no son of mine is going to be treated like a slave. And then there's that last little zinger. And go kill the fatted calf. What? Kill the fatted calf for this loser son of yours? Wow. Oh, by the way, don't miss the detail. How many people in this story? A father, a bratty kid, and the elder son. Three people. 
Do you know how long it would take for three people to eat a cow? You ever thought about that? But one minute, don't miss the detail. So in other words, kill the fatted calf. And so the reason why he wants to kill the fatted calf is because so, he wants everybody in the community to come and be a part of the party for welcoming his son back. That's just so much just like Jesus, isn't it? Jesus kind of setting the, the trend. Jesus accepting people like the adulterous woman, washing the disciples' feet, doing things like that. I mean, and Jesus is telling the story. So in other words, the father is setting an example for everybody else in the neighborhood. Because he's saying, if I'm willing to accept this kid back, and he's hurt me more than anybody else, then don't you think that maybe you can accept him as well? Wow, there's a statement. That's a pretty bold statement. If I'm willing to love him, I'm asking everybody else in the community to love him as well. Hmm. That's a whole new way of thinking, isn't it? So um, then you get to the part where, oh, my, it gets messy. The elder brother, uh, the elder brother is out in the field, and he hears all the commotion. He's already missed all the drama. And he turns to the servant and says, hey, what's going on? There's this big party going on in the house. I wasn't invited. What do you mean? Yeah, and he says, what are you doing? What's going on? And so then the servant says, well, you're not going to believe it. Your younger brother has come back, and your dad has killed a fatted calf. And he goes, what? Can you imagine? I can understand that he might be a little bit miffed. And so what's really powerful about that part Basically, he says, I ain't going in over my dead body. <laughs> That's not going to happen. So then the father comes out. Once again, what's the dad doing? Bridging the gap. Closing the distance. And he finally turns to his elder son. And says to his elder son, son, um, he, your brother's come home. He's been lost, but now he's found. And, and then what's very interesting about this, and there's kind of, once again, this kind of like key little punchline in this story, is because it's very important when you think about the older son by the way the older son as Jesus has been in this story is a whole lot like those who are pointing their finger at him at the very beginning of the story Pharisees this is what the father this is what the elder son says you ready I have been working my butt off all these years and I never asked you for nothing and yet, you never threw me a party for me and my friends. Can't blame them. And so, what's really interesting about this part of the story is that um, the father is his response. And maybe this is really the punchline 
of the whole story. You ready? I didn't realize this, but I think this is the punchline. This is what he says to his elder son. Son, you are always with me, and all I have is yours. I love Rob Bell's take on this. This is why Rob Bell said this. He says, you know, the elder son's problem isn't that he doesn't have anything. It's that he... He's had it all along, but refused to trust that it was really true. We cannot earn what we have already had. What we can do is trust that what God keeps insisting is true about us is actually true. I love that theme about you can't earn what you already have. Son, you always have been with me. All that I have is yours. Okay, so I share with you all. Ready? The story is timeless. And the reason why it's timeless, in typical Jesus fashion, it's a cliffhanger. He doesn't give us the end of the story. Now, we want Jesus to give us the end of the story. He goes out to the elder son and says, Hey, your brother's been lost, found. you got to come in. And then he stops the story. Jesus, tell us the end of the story. <coughs> but he doesn't. He gives us a cliffhanger. We don't know if the elder son goes into the house or not. I want to know if he goes in. <laughs> and maybe that's part of the twist of the story. The story has kind of two major dynamics to it because what's really powerful is do we really know that prodigal son is really legitimate when he comes back because is he just working the plan it says he came to his senses did he come to his senses for a day a week a month did the did the prodigal son once again this is an open-ended i mean do we know that the prodigal son actually came to his senses and he's actually willing to turn over a new leaf we don't know that because Jesus left it open-ended. And we also don't know if the elder son, if he goes in the house. And by the way, what's interesting is that the part that twists the story of the elder son is that he was saying to his dad, Dad, you, I have always followed the rules. And now you're breaking the rules. And I don't like it. And you know what? When Jesus is telling the story and the Pharisees are pointing their finger, you know what? The Pharisees are always about the rules, right? And so Jesus is giving this story about the heart of God. And the heart of God isn't so regimented. It's always about the rules. He says the heart of God is about loving people. 
in leaving loving a son who actually told me that it was, I might as well just drop dead. And by the way, I don't know if he's turned over a new leaf or not. But I still love him. Unconditionally. So, okay, so here's the last little twist of the story today. I never thought about this either. So, we, you know, we don't know if the, kid, the elder son goes in or not. What we can assume is that maybe he didn't go to the party, but maybe we can assume that he actually goes and he goes home and he ends up sleeping in his own bed. So you got the one kid, the, a younger son who sleeps in his own bed, and you got the elder son who sleeps in his own bed, and they wake up the next morning, and I, well, wouldn't you love to be a fly on the wall when they're eating their Cheerios at breakfast time the next morning, wouldn't you? And so what's powerful about this story is we don't know if he's turning in relief, and we don't know if the elder son is willing to accept his younger brother. It makes us timeless. And so here's the last little twist of the story. The younger son will wake up in his old, in, in, in his old bedroom, and he'll be faced with a decision. In light of my father's forgiveness, what, time of, what type of man will I become? And the older son will wake up with his brother in the next room and have to decide, in light of my father's forgiveness for my little brother, what type of man will I become? So you know what makes this story timeless is we all have to wake up every morning and ask the same question. Question number one, who are you? Question number two, who will you become? In other words, you ready? We all get to finish the parable. That makes it timeless. Amen.